This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey gang, welcome. Your Saltwater Guide with another phenomenal podcast for you today. We have a very, very special guest. I'm very excited to have this young man on our show. I say young man, he's my age, but... He's going to be on the show here in a few minutes. Real quick, we're going to touch on a couple of things that we have to talk about, and then we'll get going with the show. I want to thank everybody across all social media platforms for all the support. It just blows my wife and I's mind every single day when we look at the numbers, and the numbers are extraordinary and they just keep getting better. Those of you that are watching on YouTube, go ahead and hit the like button, subscribe. It does matter. It helps out our algorithm tremendously. And I don't know anything about algorithm except that I know that if you hit the like button and subscribe, it helps us. So please, that's free. It's easy. Just right there on the bottom. Just click on that. It'll help us out tremendously. And then all the podcast platforms out there that are carrying our podcast. Thank you all very, very much. Today is Okuma or excuse me, Opsin Floral Carbon Monday. And we want to always talk about Opsin Floral Carbon on Mondays. We'll get more into Opsin later on in the show, but this is the floral carbon I use. You see it on all of our posts. This is a phenomenal product, a clear floral carbon, spooled up in the United States of America, family-owned business. Greg Brown and his wife own this. They spool these spools up in their garage. And uh, I thank you very much, Greg, for being a sponsor of the show. And we'll we'll get into that a little bit later. Jeanette, I'm glad you had a good time with Pablo the other day. We're going to bring Pablo into the show a little later today. But with no further ado, let's bring in the man. Let's bring in Chris, the fishing weatherman, right? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, it's the fishing weatherman. Yeah, that's what my sister said. You got to have Chris on the show. She watches you all over the place. She watched you in San Diego. So Donna Kalis, thank you very much for getting me in touch with Chris. And gang, if you don't know anything about this young man, you've been living under a rock. He is the guy. Chris has been around for a long time. And I want you to tell everybody about how you got into this fishing weatherman thing because you worked on sport boats just like I did growing up. So yeah. why don't you delve into that a little bit? We'll get into the meat and potatoes of the weather thing, but you wear so many different hats. I think everyone needs to know a little bit about you. Yeah, well, like a lot of uh, young people growing up in Southern California that get into sport fishing, I started out as a pinhead on the half-day boats uh, out of Long Beach, uh, what used to be called Queens Wharf Sport Fishing, um, and uh, got a job working on the half-day boats. This was uh, 1984. Um, and a boat called the Pescador, which is now the Islander, which was the original Red Rooster 2. 
And we were running half-day boats, uh, half-day trips with 85 people on board. Uh, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. <laughs> it was a, right. a, a tangle of a mess. Um, and, and that was, I, I just love the ocean and love being out on the water. And I worked on various boats uh, when I was going through high school to San Pedro and Long Beach. And then, you know, for the for the Pedro guys and, and Long Beach and Redondo, it always seemed like, uh, oh, San Diego is the place to be. So I got together with a guy named Joe Dunn. No relation, <laughs> but it certainly helped to make a, a connection. And uh, he's a was a well-known uh, and beloved uh, sport boat captain in San Diego. At the time, he had just bought a new boat uh, called the Traditions, now the Horizon. And um, he also owned... Uh, a, just bought the spirit of adventure and was converting it from a dive boat to a, a long range sport fishing boat. So he said, yeah, come on down. And, uh, and this was 1985 and I was just finishing up high school and worked on the spirit of adventure all summer long. And um, I thought that was going to be my career path, but uh, you know, going through school, I, I discovered radio and television and I thought, wow, I want to do something with this. And I've always been interested in weather. I lived in other parts of the country and, but always came back to Southern California and uh, it just kind of all came together that uh, broadcasting weather led me down that career path to uh, becoming a, a television broadcaster and a meteorologist with all the requisite study that goes behind all of that. So you got to learn your stuff before you can talk about it on TV. Although some people um, are just presenters, uh, <laughs> others like me will uh, actually do the forecast and analyze the data crunch the numbers and really have a true understanding of what goes on. Uh, because I think to, to be able to explain to someone what's happening, you really have to have that deep understanding uh, like you, Dave, uh, with fishing methods, being on the water so much as you have and your experiences, you have a really deep knowledge and understanding of what it's be like, uh, what it's like to be out there on the water. So you can tell people and teach them through your experiences and tell them the why behind the what. And this is why we're looking for this. And this is why we're doing this this way. This is why we're going over there as opposed to going over there. So um, over, over the years, I worked at various TV stations all around the country, tried to get back to uh, Southern California occasionally for uh, some sport fishing endeavors. And uh, right now I'm in Phoenix, Arizona and working uh, a flying job, also a pilot. So I have the flying weatherman along with the fishing weatherman and uh, you know, I was doing regular uh, reports online uh, when I could, when the schedule would allow. But, you know, between here and there and, and uh, my other jobs that pay the bills, it's been kind of hard to uh, to do what you do on a regular basis, because I know a lot of work goes into putting on something like this. And so, uh, you know, your hard work is is applauded. A lot. Thank, goes you. Into Thank you. So you so but you let you you went through this so fast. So you worked on the sport boats. Then you got to go to San Diego. Then you got to get, go work with Mike Keaton on the Spirit of Adventure, right? Doing long, short range, long range. Yeah, we did uh, two, three, four day trips through the summertime. I think we did a couple of five day trips. Uh, I worked uh, a season on the Red Rooster Three. Uh, Bob Burns was uh, the captain then. Oh and, yeah, and Danny Palm. Uh, he was uh, running the boat occasionally, and we do the you know the springtime six day trips. Uh, Guadalupe Island on a six day trip in May and June, it, people wouldn't go down there at this time of the year. Well, you, I guess you can't now, right? But you know it became a fishery of uh, later in the season for the yellowfin tuna stuff. But this was back in the eighties, so a uh, little bit different uh, way of thinking. 
uh, mostly Baja Coast trips. And it was albacore all the time, every time, every single trip. Uh, there would be four-day trips where we wouldn't see land the whole time. And all we'd be doing was catching albacore the whole time. And back in those days, albacore. people don't understand, we were catching lots of albacore. Like, oh, yeah. they don't even understand. The numbers would blow people's minds. They sat back and go, there's no way. Yeah, there was. If you got 100 fish in a day, you kind of felt bad. You're like, we had a crappy day. If yeah, you it was, got 100. The numbers, yeah, on the day boats, it was like 125 or 150, or they say 100 plus. Uh, those were, you know, the really good times. But there were also some stinker trips, too, where – we come up with two or three fish and you troll, 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 troll all day long. But those were the days before sky side scanning sonar. So right. you had just the up down and you didn't have any other way of seeing, oh, there's a big school of fish 100 yards off the uh, the, the uh, starboard bow. But we would never know that they were there unless they, uh, they bit the trolling feathers. Exactly. So a lot of tools have really changed the game. Smaller reels, uh, braided lines, uh, fluorocarbon, as you mentioned. Uh, a lot of things have made uh, the, the fishing and the catching experience a lot better over the years. Oh, absolutely. It changed the game, that side scan sonar, the smaller reels, the braided line. I wanted to jump back a second, though, because you talked about the beginning when you were working on the half day. I mean, almost every single captain, everybody you talked to all started out on the half day boats and you gradually worked your way up. And then, like you said, the big shift was same with Dana Pointer. Newport, when you got to go to San Diego, you hit the big time. But back in the day when you were working on the half day boats, we had that sand bass in the Barracuda in the mud back in those oh, yeah. days. You carry 80 people and you carry catch. I just want to throw some numbers out there because it's fun to blow people's minds. 800 bass on a trip and another yeah. 50, 60 Barracuda and some other stuff, right? 10, 10 was the limit. Uh, right. 10 bass at uh, 12 inches long. And I think you could also keep 10 Barracuda, uh, 28 inches long was the, uh, the size limit on those. Uh, the springtime Barracuda runs and the horseshoe kelp. Um, you could have some phenomenal Barracuda fishing, calico bass. They're spawning colors when they turn that, that bright orange. Um, and then uh, the bass on the flats, Huntington Flats in uh, a place called Sandbass Junction. I don't know exactly where that, probably somewhere mid between. Uh, Huntington Flats and Horseshoe Kelp, but you go out there and the bass would be just stacked up just yeah. on the meter. You would just see solid and then you drop the hook and then everybody would be hooked up just left and right. You drop a uh, lead head scampies or uh, some uh, jigs, live bait. It didn't, didn't take much and it was just a steady pick and then boom, we're done. Now we have to slowly idle back home. So we have enough time for the guys to, uh, to clean all the fish. That to we got. fillet all the fish yeah. and people don't understand when you went on the boat, they're like, well, why did you take eight? Well, every single human that came on the boat wanted their limit. They all wanted their limit. That's what they wanted. They wanted their limit. It, it just was the way it was. And it's not, people go, oh, well, they're all gone now because of that. Well, no, it's cycles. It's all cyclical. I mean, we didn't see that sand bass for like 10 years and we just saw it show up in Huntington Beach this year. I don't know if you yeah. saw that, but they had it for six solid weeks there day in and day out and and the barracuda trickled in with it and there's just so many things and we're going to get into this cyclical thing because that's a big thing to do with weather and it's so cool to have you there's so many people that have like my friend john stanley here he's a he's a great member of my website really good friend he's talking about watching you on the san diego weather all the time because he's from san diego yeah. so 
there's just so many people. I'm just going to throw cool stuff up every once in a while when I see somebody posting something cool. And, and Darren, we're going to try to make sure the wind and waves are light for next weekend. We'll, we'll do what we can. Although <laughs> prediction, not production. So we'll see how the weather goes. Right. <laughs> so then you're on the sport boat down in San Diego. And then you said you wanted to do that. How did you get into the TV? How did you get into this? Did you go to college for? Uh, yeah, I was, I was. I actually I started at uh, UC San Diego, and then uh, that didn't work out so well. So I took a little time off, and that's when primarily when I worked on the boats uh, more or less full time. Um, uh, as a side note, I was a a deckhand on a boat called the Fish and Fool uh, with Captain Gary Lamont. Oh, God and, rest his soul. Yes. Oh my God, tell that story. I I was supposed to be on that trip. I was working for him that winter, and he said, hey, we've got a great, we've got a three-day trip. We're going down to San Martin Island. A uh, group of guys that did some boat work for me. It's kind of a payback trip, so it's going to be a light load. Only a dozen or so people. Two days before the trip was going to go, I got sick. The flu, I was down for the count. Fever, just there was no way I was getting off the couch. And I called him up apologetically saying, Gary, I, I just can't go. And he said, no worries. We'll just get someone else to, to fill your spot and, and next time. And then it was uh, a few days later that I heard the news and it, um, it still affects me today. You know, I'm, I was 19 at the time and uh, the uh, uh, guy, Scott, I think was his name, was the deckhand. He was also 19 or 20 and uh, they never found him. And just thinking what, you know, what would I have done if I was in that position? And I went back to uh, Ben's Rock, um, I think the next, I think it was later that year on the Spirit of Adventure, I was working that summer. And Mike said to me, hey, we're going to uh, down to Ben's Rock. Uh, it's going to be kind of weird going back down there uh, just, you know, six, seven months after that happened. So uh, in case you don't know the, the story, uh, Fishing Fool was a 60, 65 foot Drake boat. Um, and it was uh, caught by a big wave, a big set of waves come in. Uh, there's a breaker, Ben's Rock. It's just south of San Martin Island. And it came and it flipped the boat over. Everybody was thrown into the water. There were only two survivors out of, I think, 12 or 13 that were on the boat. Yeah, it's pretty sad. February 1987. Crazy. It was a crazy story. Ben's Rock comes up from like 2,000 feet of water to about a foot and a half below the surface. It's a big pinnacle. You catch lots of yellowtail, lots of big bonita on it. It's a phenomenal fishery there. But that... Back in those days, like you were saying, there wasn't a lot of electronics. There wasn't a lot of stuff. We would stand on the roof when we would get stand on the overhead of the of the sport boats and look for the color spot or look for the wave. Yeah, all the ways that you could approach it. It is a crazy, crazy spot back in the day. There was no GPS. There were no none of these uh, chart plotter things that you have nowadays, gang. You kind of went by your compass, and you got to you had to pay attention. I fished San Martin a lot back in the late 70s, early 80s. And uh, when we heard about Gary and the whole thing, one guy, one passenger, a guy named Jim Sims and mm -hmm. the cook were the only two people that lived. Jim Sims went on to work for me later on in life, which was pretty crazy in the trade show industry. But it was just, we were talking one day, standing on the on the docks at the L.A. Convention Center and and he's like, you've been in the sport fishing industry for a while. I say, yeah, 40 years or 25 years at that time. And he's all, do you ever hear about the, and I say, yeah. And he goes, well, I'm Jim Sims. I was like, no way. Wow. Tragic, tragic story. But 
Somebody was watching out for you, Chris. My goodness. Yeah, I just you know thank my lucky stars. Uh, Kathy Compton was the uh, the cook. She was also the second the second ticket on the book uh, on the boat, and she was actually inside in the galley and held on to the the support beams as the boat rolled over, and so she she survived and along with Jim Sims. So lucky, unbelievable, just an unbelievable story. So, okay, now that we've told that story, let's go back to how did you? Okay, so you're. Got out of school, went to work on the boats. Then you were like, I want to go back. I want to do this newscasting thing. Or what did you want to do on TV? Yeah, I, I kind of got involved in Hollywood and, and being a, an extra and a stand-in and um, TV shows and movies. And then that kind of translated to, okay, when I go back to school, I want to get into this. And they said, no, nah, we don't really do too much film, but we do a lot of radio and TV. And then they heard my voice and doing some radio stuff. They said, ah, radio is where you need to be. Yes, radio. Um, so I kind of went in that direction and then I went up to Chico, Northern California, finished up my degree and worked at various radio stations up there. And that translated into TV and I kind of got sucked into that business. And then well, one move to the next, I moved to, I was in Fort Myers, Florida for a Fox startup. I moved to uh, Miami, Florida, worked for the Fox station in Miami, uh, the CBS station in Salt Lake city. Then they sent me out to Philadelphia and then, the uh, CBS in Philadelphia, Fox in Denver, uh, CBS in, um, here in Phoenix. And then I went out to Mobile, Alabama, worked for the NBC affiliate out there, and then uh, took some time away from the TV business, got involved in aviation full-time, and then came back here to Phoenix a couple of years ago. So that's where I'm back again. And I ended up back on the air uh, just in the last week or so. Uh, the NBC station here needed some help filling in freelance work. So I'm back on TV in Phoenix, Arizona, along with flying airplanes full-time. Right. I'm not busy or anything. No, no, no. And I'm so happy that you took the few, a little bit of time to be with me and my followers here. Thank you so, so much. The, when I reached out to you a couple of weeks ago, it was because I wanted you to help me out a little bit more with this whole El Nino phenomenon that, but something I wanted to talk to you about was since 1983 and you've been in the industry remember yeah. 83 the real el nino the the one the real one and i call it the real one because we had 85 degree water for like a month and a half in front of dana point harbor we had manta rays whale sharks sailfish and consistent tuna fishing where you could pretty much set your watch to it and you could go out there on the half day and three quarter day boat and catch 150 yellowfin day in and day out and it was consistent fishing we haven't had that Everyone says, oh, 2014, we had an El Nino. We had an El Nino in 91. 83 was the only real El Nino. And then they use that word all the time is what I think. But I'm not a weather guy. So why don't you help me and my my uh, followers understand this whole El Nino phenomenon? Because the news loves to throw that out there. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of misconception about what El Nino is and what it means for Southern California and you know exactly what it is. El Nino, um, basically what it is and what it's not. What it's not is warm water, period. So we had a really warm episode in 2016. <laughs> Remember last year uh, with, with all the Dorado, Mahi Madness in, uh, in Southern California Bight, and it was actually a, technically a La Nina year. So we can have warm water without El Nino. We can have El Nino and still have cold water along the coast, with, with, especially with coastal upwelling. But uh, El Nino technically and, and specifically is defined as a warming of the ocean waters 
near the equator in the Eastern Pacific Ocean. And so by that definition, it doesn't have a direct connection with Southern California. However, there are connections and correlations with what happens up here versus what's happening down there along the equator. Now, because the, the Earth's oceans have, are a big driver of climate, it does affect weather patterns around the globe, uh, usually drought in Australia and enhanced uh, rainfall in, uh, in Southern California and along the Gulf Coast with more storminess. Typically, now we can have La Nina years like we had last winter and phenomenal rainfall and snowpack for the Sierra Nevada. We can also have El Nino years like uh, I think it was 2016, 2017, I do have some notes here that I might have to refer to from time Good. to time. Good, we want you to. Um, that was that uh, when we had the blob, that really warm water uh, with uh, Wahoo being caught up uh, off of Orange County and, and yeah. LA County. And there was uh, like a dozen or so Wahoo caught up Coronado Islands on one trip. Um, and, and that was uh, during El Nino, corresponding with some warm water and the warm blob that persisted. Uh, but it was a total bust for, for rainfall that winter. You know, everybody, all the predictions, because we go by statistics, more likely we will have a wet winter when El Nino is present, but that's not always the case. It's, it's like eight and 10 winters will be wetter than normal, but then there's always that exception. So um, just like a sport boat captain says, hey, the fishing here was phenomenal. The conditions look ideal. It's the same as yesterday. You go out there and where'd the fish go? Well, the chances are with our best available information that it should happen here, but sometimes it doesn't. So we, we make an educated guess. Uh, and yeah, forecasting is a guess, just like a sport boat captain will. Based on my information, um, we're going to Pyramid Head or we're going to uh, the east end of Catalina. We're going to uh, Frog Rock, okay. just to, you know, right. some miscellaneous places. This is where the best dope is. And, and, and despite that best information, it may not work out. The forecast might not work out because there are so many different variabilities in, in the atmosphere and so many connections and teleconnections that are going on uh, that we just can't account for everything. But we try to do the best we can as forecasters and make that best guess judgment. So getting back to the El Nino question. Right. Uh, when El Nino is present, and especially when a strong El Nino, more often than not, we have a wetter winter and uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that warm water along the equator is making its way all the way up the coast, past Cabo and, and uh, into Southern California. Um, but it does have uh, a disruption to the California current. So the California current comes in from the north and typically brings in colder water. We also have coastal upwelling that, that provides us with uh, chilly water and that greenish water you sometimes see along the coast because things overturn and there's a lot of stuff living in that, in that water when it's, when it's colder. Um, that current gets disrupted and is not quite as strong or prevalent when El Nino is present for some reason. So it's that connection between El Nino along the equator and the California current disrupting that current and then allowing our waters to warm up uh, more, much more so than would be normally the case uh, than during a non El Nino year. So and, you know, I remember used to be like, back in the 80s, if we got up to 68 or 69 degrees in the summertime, that would be pretty much the peak of it. But, you know, we're offshore, we're 71, 72 degrees. And we've been seeing Dorado 
with a regular basis, uh, yellowfin tuna on a regular basis, uh, albacore have not been around. Uh, triggerfish have been a, a, almost a regular catch uh, along the coast. A lot of the warmer water species have been more regular than uh, than not. So uh, I don't know if that's a, a part of an overall change in the whole system that's in the Eastern Pacific or just a kind of a, a decadal type of uh, shift that's been going on. But uh, El Nino does have a kind of a, a side effect uh, on our on our currents, on the, the water temperatures, but more so uh, an influence on on the, the weather patterns that we see, um, especially in the wintertime along the West Coast. So do you think they just use that word El Nino, or do you think it actually is El Nino, or is just... I mean, because we're trying to figure this thing out as far as fishermen go. But now I just learned yeah. that it has nothing to do with warm water coming into Southern California. Well, yeah. And again, by definition, El Nino is what's happening along the equator because it's been around for tens of thousands of years, but it wasn't really scientifically recognized until the early 1960s. And, and the reason for it being called El Nino is because the Peruvian anchovy fishermen first recognized that, hey, something's going on. Something's different right around Christmas time when uh, the anchovies would disappear and the water would start to warm up. And so they referred to the, the Christ child, Christmas, El Nino. And I guess that connection just kind of stuck. So they took it as El Nino. And at that time of the year, uh, the water started warming and there were no anchovies to be caught. And so of course it all relates back to fishing. It, it has to. Um, but, yes, so that's how it, how it got started. And there have been past episodes where uh, the, the the Peruvian fishery just totally collapsed. And they had, uh, let's see, it was in uh, 1972 to 1973. They, there was basically no anchovy catch in uh, coastal Peru. And then, uh, Dave, you mentioned 1983. That was the first time that I became aware of El Nino because it was uh, right. Actually, South Coast Sport Fishing Magazine, they posted a big article in 82, 83 El Nino, what, it, what it's all about and how it was going to affect uh, fishing in California. And during that El Nino, 25% uh, of the fur seal pups in Peru starved to death because there was no uh, food for them. The, their food supply just disappeared. And uh, of course, there was record amounts of rain and snow along the, the U.S. West Coast. Some of the piers were damaged by some of those big storms that, that came rolling in. Um, I don't know how it affected the San Clemente Pier, but... Um, it uh, washed it out. I have a piece yeah. on the wall in my living okay. room. 1983, El Nino, piece of the San Clemente Pier. That's where my dad's office was on the end of the pier. Everything yeah. left. The whole thing went away. They lost the pier that year. Wow. Well... I remember Seal Beach Pier took some damage, and, and I think the Huntington Beach Pier took some damage from that uh, as well during that year. The 97, 98 was also a pretty significant El Nino, and, and in some measures was even stronger than 82, 83. Uh, and that did result in an influx of uh, tropical-type species in Southern California. Um, again, the whole system is all connected, so it may not be a direct definition of what's happening in SoCal versus what's happening in, along the equator, but everything is all connected. Uh, just like if you spend any time out on the water, you know that everything is connected. If you're out there and you see nothing, 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 then all of a sudden you see birds and you see whales, you know that there's food around and there are likely fish around as well. So all the connections kind of start to make sense when you put it all together. 
Gotcha. Hold on for one second. I have to do a little business here and we'll jump right back into this whole thing. Gang, like I said in the beginning of the show, it's Opsin Floral Carbon Monday. If you grab that QR code that I'm throwing up on the screen right now, those of you that are watching us on YouTube and Facebook, the QR code's up there on the screen. Hit that with your phone or however you can grab that QR code. That's going to take you right straight to the Opsin Floral Carbon website. By, just by entering the website, that's going to enter you into the contest to win the free spool of line. We give away a free spool of line the first of every month. October will be no different. Opsin's giving away another spool of line. So grab that QR code. Those of you that are driving and listening to us on the podcast, all you have to do is go to OpsinUSA.com and then put in the code YSWG. That tells Elliot that you're in the store and then... On October 1st, Kelly Girl will give away a spool of this Opsin fluorocarbon. Now, this fluorocarbon is a very special fluorocarbon to me because I believe in my heart that when you use fluorocarbon, you're doing it because you don't want the fish to see it. You're also using it because it's abrasion resistant. Well, Opsin's clear. It's a clear fluorocarbon. It is not colored. I don't understand. I know why they color fluorocarbon. I know why, because it catches fishermen. They don't color it because it catches fish. They color it because it catches fishermen. But if you're going to throw this out, look at this is 40 pound floral card. You can't even really see it unless my light hits it just right. Okay. This stuff's invisible when it hits the water. I've never been fishing where I went. Wow. I wish I didn't have floral carbon. There's never been a day where I went. I wish I didn't have it. Now, back when Chris and I were kids, there was no such thing as floral carbon. There was no such thing as braid. We would, and I was very resistant to ever using this, to be perfectly honest. But now there's not a time where I'm going fishing where I don't have a piece of floral carbon tied to the end of my line. Why mess around with the pinks and the reds and the oranges and the greens? Go straight to the clear. Use Opsin. If you absolutely have to get a bite, you absolutely have to use Opsin floral carbon. Grab the QR code there, and we're going to go back to this El Nino thing right now. All right, so this... El Nino that we have this year, yeah. is it a true El Nino? Yes. Yes, okay. it is. And, and it, it started to develop early this year, and the forecast, the modeling has gotten a lot better. So there, the forecasts were that it was going to keep building until peaking uh, later this year, and all, uh, all of the observations have been showing that. So, yes, we do have a true El Nino that is in place, again, along the equator, but uh, – in our area, the waters have warmed up and we're seeing uh, the yellowfin and we're seeing the Dorado move in and a handful of skipjack and all of that stuff, along with the bluefin tuna, which aren't quite uh, the, the warmer water species right. like, uh, like some of the other stuff. So, um, you know, we, we've seen uh, quite a mix. Now, after the active winter of last year, the water cooled down quite a bit. And uh, I was on another, uh, don't tell anybody, I was on another podcast uh, uh, this was earlier this year, I think it was back in April. And I said, it's going to take a little time for that water to recover and start to warm up. But all indications are that once we get into September and especially, especially October, when the water stays warm and if that channel is wide open for the fish to move on up, uh, we're going to have some spectacular fishing. And, uh, we've had some pretty decent days from some of the reports in the last few weeks. And, uh, I think it was, um, Balboa Angling Club uh, just had a marlin tournament in the Channel Islands. The Masters, yeah. Yeah, and one of the boats had five or six marlin in one day. Um, and that's that's pretty good marlin fishing there. Heck uh, yeah. 
And see, gang, nope. I've been telling it, and I'm so happy because me and you didn't rehearse this. It's not rehearsed, mm -hmm. gang. I told you October was going to be incredible. I told you guys that it was going to just relax and don't get so wound up. So many people are going out, driving all over the ocean right now, so spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars on fuel. And like Chris is saying, just take a deep breath and make sure you got plenty of fuel left for October because it's going to be insane. Tell me, I need to understand, why did Hillary come up here and turn our water? Because normally, historically, I would tell people we got this hurricane rushing. Because down here in Cabo right now, Chris, yeah. the water's 91. And it's been 91 for a month. It's, it cruised. And then when Hillary came, the water shot down to 85, which is, I don't understand. I need you to explain this to me. And then the water in Dana Point went to fit from 71 to 57. Yeah. So what, what happened? Well, and and that, that kind of goes in with the uh, the – the, the misconception that hurricanes blow in or, or drive up warm water. And that's, it's not the case. Usually it's the other way around. It's because we have warm water that hurricanes can form and last a little bit longer and making them all the way up to Northern Baja and, and even uh, as a tropical storm strength, rarely into Southern California. And it was indeed a rarity. The normal track of, of tropical systems, it goes South of Cabo or maybe uh uh, down around Mag Bay and then out to the west and out towards Hawaii um, or the Hurricane Bank. I don't know why they call it that, but <laughs> um, but in in this case where we have a disruption in the, the weather pattern, we have plenty of warm water, plenty of fuel for a tropical system. It can form and strengthen down there. And as long as it has a, a pathway, steering winds really guide tropical systems like that. So in, in the rare case of like a, a Hurricane Hillary, where it moved right up into Northern Baja and dumped record rain on Palm Springs and in the deserts and actually brought in some pretty decent rain for any time of the year into San Diego and Orange counties. Um, we had uh, just the ninth anniversary of another hurricane that was offshore, Hur Hurricane Norbert, which did kind of the same thing. And that was in 2014. Uh, it formed off the coast and it moved up and all the guys that were on seven and eight day trips, they were fishing the Tanner Bank, <laughs> Cortez Bank, because they just couldn't get down below and there was no reason for them to go right in the face of a hurricane. Um, but there was plenty of warm water down there and the storm formed, gained strength. And by the time it lost some of its strength, it was a shadow of its former self, but it still moved up and, and moved into Southern California and Arizona. And, and in the case of Norbert, Phoenix had the rainiest day ever, about three and a half inches of rain in one day. Uh, so when, when a tropical system forms and strengthens, it needs fuel, it needs warm ocean water, at least 80 degrees. Um, and then it needs light shear environment and it, it needs a, a pathway or steering winds to, to push it somewhere else. When you have all that wind churning up the water, uh, that top layer of water blows away and it has to be replaced by something. So the water down below will come back up and replace that. And typically that's much more uh, colder, nutrient rich. So sometimes when we get really strong uh, Santa Ana winds along the coast, uh, that wind will blow the, the water offshore. And then we have upwelling along the coast that comes in. And, and that also happens in Northern Baja where you might go down a couple hundred miles and uh, you have that green 59 degree off color water and, all you're catching is ling cod and, and not a yellowtail in sight. You know, oh, the trip to Colonet is looking great. And then you just come down there and just really cruddy looking water. Um, 
it, a steady diet of that wind that's just blowing the, the, the top layer of water away. And it's just kind of cycles. And remember, the, the ocean is in 3D. So it, it has to do something with that. So that, that colder water from down below gets pulled back up. And so we can have uh, a five to even 10 degree drop in water temperatures uh, in just a couple of days where we get a really good wind event that, that blows through. Now that happened. And now we're on the other side of that. Now, just so that everybody understands when that water turned over and it, we have red tide, like you, we have red tide, like wintertime red tide right now. You, you remember the days? Yeah. Well, that's what we have right now in Southern California because that water turned over so fast and it flipped the bottom, put the bottom on the top and the top on the bottom and, and the plankton couldn't deal with that. It was just too much of a shock. And so it all just died. And now we have all this red tide, but you know, what's really strange is that the bluefin are in it. The bluefin are in it. Cause they just don't, they yeah. can't, they, they got to eat. Yeah. They, well, they go where the food is. And, and I guess, uh, it, you know, that's not the first place that I would look for. <laughs> If I was going offshore looking for bluefin in green off-color water, I'd say, oh, yeah, let's avoid this. Let's get out to the, the blue water, that, that, uh, the purple water that you're looking for. Well, I'm, again, I'm going back to albacore days. Right. That, uh, that purple 62 to 64 degree water and uh, lots of signs of life. And, oh, yeah, conditions are ideal. You wouldn't look at green water and say, yep, this is where we're going to fish. But if you find a foamer in green water, you're not going to pass it by. And that that's what's happening. These people are finding this bluefin in the grossest brownish red water that you could even comprehend. But the, the best part about having you on the show is to make sure that everybody understands that when Hillary came up here and did that, really, you and I both know that it's a good thing because it added all those nutrients to turn that water upside down. The bait is going to explode. The bait's going to spawn. It's going to have plenty of food, right? I mean, that's historically, that's what we've seen. Cold water is the key to this whole thing. If the water gets too hot, all the bait goes away. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's the food chain. You know, it all starts with the uh, phytoplankton and the zooplankton and then the bait fish and then the, the predatory fish and on, on down the line. So the, the bigger fish are not going to be there if the smaller fish are not there and the smaller fish are not going to be there if uh, there's nothing for them to eat either. So you like myself, you believe that this is good and it's going to, nobody needs to put their fishing gear away. It's going to be an incredible October, November, probably all the way through Christmas again. Right. It's yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. October has uh, sometimes just brought phenomenal fishing and, and we can have some of the nicest weather of the year in, in October and early November. Uh, one of the, I guess one of the last trips that I did uh, was over Thanksgiving weekend uh, I went out of uh, Seaforth on a, uh, it was a day and a half. Yeah, it was a day and a half trip. We fished Cortez Bank and it was flat, greasy, calm. Uh, we had wide open yellowfin tuna. Uh, I caught three bluefin tuna. Uh, there were a couple of Dorado. We had yellowtail on the bank and then we did a couple of drops and we had uh, some big reds and uh, big uh, boccaccio and salmon grouper. And uh, just kind of a mixed bag of everything. I think that the boat had a total of about 500 fish of just everything you could imagine. And this was the weekend of Thanksgiving. So at the end of November. So, yeah, we can have some phenomenal fishing. As long as we don't get any big storms that come in and really turn things over and disrupt things. Like uh, Brian mentioned, the water's thermocline is, uh, turns over and was, has bass fishing calls it. And 
uh, when the lake turns over. So yeah, it can happen in fresh water as well as salt water. And it, uh, speaking of that, an interesting thing happens in uh, the Great Salt Lake in Salt Lake City, where everything is kind of stratified, but they get a big cold front and a lot of wind and it turns things over. And there's not a whole lot of stuff that lives in the Great Salt Lake. But what does live in there that, that kind of dies and it starts to ferment on the bottom and, and uh, uh, decays, all of that stuff gets brought up to the surface and all the, the smell associated with that, if you can imagine it. If we had smell vision I'd give that smell to you. Or <laughs> blows into the Salt Lake Valley, and then the, uh, the police departments get flooded with calls of, uh, of uh, gas leaks because of the horrendous smell that blows into town. Wow. So it happens on lakes and happens on the ocean, too. That is incredible. So as you're looking at, because you're full-blown meteorologist, as you're looking at all this stuff that's going on right now, what do you? What is the possibility of something coming out of the West and messing this thing up? Do you? Can you see that far ahead, or do you? What do you see? Yeah, and I have to apologize. I think the sun is going behind a cloud, so yeah, I can't adjust with the uh, the lighting condition here. Um, you know, again, we have to go with the odds, and the odds are that we will have an active winter season uh, along the West Coast. Uh, we had a very active season last year. And uh, that knocked uh, the water temperatures down for quite a while. But, hey, look, they were catching bluefin tuna out of the Golden Gate in San Francisco, uh, just outside of the Farallon Islands. Uh, that didn't really seem to slow the bluefin bite down. And they were back out on the bluefin grounds catching them, uh, well, I think as early as uh, late February or early March this year. And it just kept going. So as long as there's food out there and the biomass, the sheer mass of of fish that are out there, still out there, uh, they're not going anywhere. So it's going to take an awful lot to, to drive that away. I don't see that happening. Um, but it, it, you know, if we do have an active storm season, again, it might drive those water temperatures down offshore quite a bit. So it'll take a little time to recover. And some of the warmer water species um, will take a little time to come back. Gotcha. Okay. So we got a lot of really phenomenal information. I learned a ton. I, I'm sure some other people do, but all right. So there's a lot of people on here that are private boaters. That's like 90% of my audience are private boaters yeah. and they're always looking. I kind of steer them towards windy.com because that's a easy site to figure out and read. But what, cause they hear it from me, but I'm just an old fisherman. What are you looking prime best case scenario fishing in southern california we're going to be looking at that wind less than 12 knots we hate the east well i always tell everybody wind out of the east fishing is the least when the wind comes out of the south the fish shut their mouth and uh that's just stuff i learned when i was a kid but i tell you we've been out there when it's really good fishing and the next day it blows out of the southeast and you don't catch anything let's try to help these yeah. help all the followers try to understand what they're looking for be as they start to plan their trip to go fishing, especially with their family and their children and stuff. Cause weather is a big problem for us. Well, I'd say, you know, first and foremost, if you're taking the family or the kids out, you want to give them a, a pleasurable experience. So, you know, if it's going to be windy and choppy and, and really sloppy and nasty out there, but the fish are biting, nobody's going to have a fun time. So I would rather go out on a really nice day and have slow fishing, but enjoy the day rather than have, uh, you know, fill the boat. But uh, you're also filling the boat with water and the bilge pump is, is working nonstop trying to keep things dry. Um, 
so the, the, the things that I look at are, yeah, yeah I use windy.com uh, often. It's a very user-friendly website. Um, I use uh, Pivotal Weather and uh, tropicaltidbits.com for model data analysis, where you can look at a whole bunch of different things uh, for forecast models to, to kind of contrast and compare what, what one model is forecasting versus another. Uh, you can also, um, on a, uh, I'm trying to think of the, the names. I have them all bookmarked, and some of them are saved on my website at thefishingweatherman.com. But they put it in a graphical format, and we'll take one grid point of one model. So we'll drop a pin in it, and it takes that and extrapolates that data down to easy-to-understand, user-friendly data. So you can say, okay, at 10 a.m., the wind is forecast to be out of the northwest at 10 knots and the swell is uh, three feet at a period of 16 seconds, something like that. So you can kind of gauge you know, where you're going based on what, what a forecast model is showing, but also uh, keep in mind that's just a, a model's interpretation of what's going to happen. If you want true human intervention in that forecast data, then uh, products from the National Weather Service are, are really good. The, uh, the marine forecasts and the offshore forecasts uh, as long as you understand the limitations of that too. So they, they offer, uh, so say if you're going offshore, from 30 to 60 miles offshore, well, that's a pretty big spread and things can change from 30 miles to 60 miles. So just know that there are certain limitations in, in the forecast, the text products, as well as the, the graphical products and the, the model output that you might see on, on your favorite website or wherever you're looking for weather information. Now, you mentioned something. We need to talk about this. Your website will help them out tremendously, right? It will help them out. That's a great place to go and get really cool information because not only are you a weatherman, you're a fisherman. Yeah, and, and I've tried to gear uh, a lot of the, the links and the, the information on there for, for angling purposes. So from some other websites, I have those graphical forecasts that are posted specifically for uh, the Coronado Islands, uh, for San Clemente Island, for Catalina Island, the Horseshoe Kelp, uh, for the uh, San Clemente Basin Buoy, which is just south of San Clemente Island and is about 50 or so miles straight offshore from San Diego. And that gives us a good idea of what we can expect in those areas. Uh, Punta Colonet, uh, down off the Baja Coast. And if you're, if you're going on a long-range trip, uh, the National Weather Service also has text forecast for some of those zones down the Baja coast. And I have um, those posted on the website as well. So it's, it's kind of an easy to go to um, place for getting all that information that you might need in one spot. Now, I, I don't have links to windy.com and you can easily go to that website and navigate your way around that and, and look at the different products that they have uh, available there. But I've tried to put some stuff on there that, uh, I thought would be useful if, if I were taking my own boat out, if I had a boat, uh, that I would want to know, you know, what's happening here or there, or if I was going to board a sport boat and go on an overnight trip or even uh, a day trip, you know, what can I expect and pick and choose the, the best days that, that will offer me the best opportunity for good weather to head out there and then uh, to, to do that. I also have some blog posts with interesting information about some of the islands that we visit. Um, Zane Gray, a popular author from back in the 1800s or early 1900s, a frequent visitor to Catalina Island and an angler. 
uh, little, wrote a little story about him, uh, some historical stuff uh, from back in the early 80s, pictures of the boats and uh, some of the brochures that were in use at those times. Because, yeah, back in the day, they published brochures and they didn't have websites. So that's how we found out about the, the boats and the, the captains and uh, what what boat operated out of what landing. And now you can just click, click, click. And, and there it is. But back in the day, you either had to go to the landing or you went to uh, one of the big shows and you got piles of information. And, you know, I'm one of those that hoarded information. So I still have some of those original brochures from 40 years ago. So one of our members, Jeanette, she just put this up here. But gang, Chris will go back in through the comments here and he'll answer a lot of your comments. He's going to put links to his website. We're going to talk about his website one more time so that you guys with the pencil and the paper, old school guys like Chris and I can write this down, how to get to Chris's website, how to follow him. Cause he's, uh, it's not fair to only give him an hour here with us because we can barely scratch the surface. But most of my members, most of my followers like to watch this on their lunch break. So we just do it for an hour every day at 12. And we'll bring Chris back for sure on the show. But Chris, tell them how to get to your website and how they can talk to you on there. Because you do answer a lot of people's stuff. Yeah, I try to whenever uh, whenever time allows. Uh, it's The website is thefishingweatherman.com. Uh, I'm also on Facebook, SD Weather, as in San Diego Weather. Um, I just picked it because it seemed like it was uh, not in use. So uh, SD Weather on Facebook. Uh, and again, I try to post stuff on there on an on as available basis uh, whenever I can. Um, when I wasn't working quite as much, I had a lot more time available. So I was able to devote uh, more time to doing some of that stuff and updates. But now that I'm in uh, a lot busier, it's a little more difficult to, to get to some of the stuff. And, and again, Dave, I know that how much it takes to put all this stuff together and how much effort you put into your podcast and all the offerings that you have. And so it's a, uh, it's quite a feat. So uh, all of your subscribers just know that he does an awful lot of work that doesn't show up here. So a lot of it is behind the scenes to make this happen. Thanks, Chris. What really cool, and we didn't even mention it, right behind your head, there's three little statues. I've never had anybody on my podcast that has Emmys. Look at that. Talk yeah. about that for just a sec. Uh, yeah, those were uh, regional Emmy awards that I won in uh, Denver and Phoenix for uh, individual achievements, uh, weather casting, and also part of weather specials that I produced Uh we produced an annual winter weather special in Denver. And then here in Phoenix, we produce an annual uh, monsoon special. Monsoon is a season, not a storm. And it's just the season where we have this reversal of the weather pattern that brings in humid air that fuels thunderstorms. So it's our summer thunderstorm season. So every year we would produce a, a special for, for that. And so uh, I have a few of those awards uh, to keep on my shelf back behind me. That is so cool to have somebody with your background on here talking about weather because i i try to do the best i can but i get a lot of weather questions all the time from members because as you know working on the boats and being out there weather can ruin your trip it can absolutely just i don't care like you said oh, yeah. how good the fishing is if you're getting the crap beat out of you it sucks oh yeah i, I remember several trips going down the line and going down the line is night it's kind of nice because you're just riding with the waves. But uh, there was one trip in particular where I think it was a three or four day trip. And uh, it was uh, Mike Keating was running the Spirit of Adventure. And he said, okay, we're going to idle down swell for dinner, but I hate to do this to you, 
we have to run about 80 miles north of here and we're going to go straight into it all night long. So eat your dinner if you dare. <laughs> and then uh, we're going to be running into it. So as soon as we turn the boat around, bam, bam. And this is an 88 foot boat. Uh, we were taking water over the top of the wheelhouse, crashing back down on the aft deck uh, pretty much all night long. And on my two hour wheel watch, it was uh, not a pleasant experience. Um, and, and coming back up from, uh, uh, I think we were coming up from Clarion on the Red Rooster 3, kind of the same thing. And that, that big aluminum boat, when it would hit some of those big swells, it would kind of just do this, this whole vibrating, shuddering thing. Uh, and, and that was uh, not a very nice ride for uh, the first day and a half. It's about, I think it's two and a half days uh, or three days to get all the way down there. And uh, we, yeah, we were going straight into it uh, for the first day and a half. I think I only saw one person up for dinner that first night. Oh, it, it can be kind of miserable to... Sometimes you just don't have a choice. It's uh, it, it's safe, uh, but it's just not pleasant, and nobody wants to be out there when it's like that. Right, and with nowadays with all the weather apps and and then your bitching website, there really isn't any reason to go out. Like my buddy Mike Lewis was just saying, my game plans that come out every Thursday on the website, we talk about weather and how important it is. And my motto, I say this all the time. We live in Southern California. We have 360 beautiful days. Why go out on those three crappy days or those five crappy days? What, why, why it doesn't make any sense, yeah. but Hey, just for a second, we're going to bring in one of my guides who is out this weekend with some of our viewers that are watching Pablo. Welcome to the show. This is Chris, the weatherman, hey, the Christian weatherman. Pablo, welcome, man. Did you have a good trip this weekend? Did you have any fun? Oh, yeah. We had a couple of great days out here. Um, yesterday was phenomenal fishing. And um, the day before, I did a guide survey, as you know, for Jeanette and David. And um, we just went over navigation, electronics, the local fisheries, things like that. Jeanette is so dialed on her checklist and everything for the Coast Guard, I was like, wow, I should probably take some notes because <laughs> I did together, man. Um, but it was a great time with David and Jeanette, and it was funny because David's the only one that caught fish, and we were like, oh, okay, she wanted me to teach him how to fish, and I'm like, uh, he's obviously knows how to fish because he's the only one that caught any. The water, um, a little, like you said, find that good water in, the, in your um, you know, forecast for the weekend in the game plan, and we just couldn't get into any clean, good water. It was really slow and kind of nasty, but we just made the best of the day. We had a great day, wonderful people. <clears throat> and then um, yesterday, I had the pleasure of picking out uh, father's son from Arizona, and we pushed out of Mission Bay and um, headed north. And I'll just leave that where that's at, because I know Captain Dave likes to give out the numbers later. And... Yeah. Uh, you know, so we pushed up there. I, I picked according to the weather and according to the coral and according to the temp breaks. I found that little strip, you know, going kind of northwest. And then I just kind of ping pong back and forth and um, found my own zone. There was no boats there. Everybody was going for the big patch of blue water southwest and west. So I went up there <clears throat> kind of on a gamble and we hooked into three nice bluefin 
And the kid, 15 year old kid, went two for three on bluefin, and he got one nice boulder on him. Beautiful. So you put the best thing you could possibly put together. Weather yeah. was a little, the weather kind of was a little different than what Wendy was calling for. Cause I talked to Justin, he had a rough time out there Saturday or Friday and Saturday. The wind was kind of different than what they were calling for, but I'm glad you were able to put together a nice weekend. So real quick, cause we're going to jump back on here with Chris. Just let everybody know you're available. Tell them where, how to get a hold of you, give them your number and we're going to keep this show rolling along here. Okay, yeah, I appreciate that, Cap. I'm uh, Pablo Fernandez, captain of the Cato Elizabeth. I run Fernandez Charters at a Mission Bay. We're at uh, Seaforth Marina. My contact number is 619-431-3070. You can find me at fernandezcharters.com or at fernandezcharters on Instagram. And uh, I'm always active in the community here with uh, Captain Hansen. And I'd like to answer any questions you guys ever have. Give me a call for any reason. Yep. He's always available to answer your questions. He's very active over at yoursaltwaterguide.com. You can grab his QR code right there, get a hold of him. And uh, Pablo, thanks for joining the show for a few minutes. I know you're a busy guy and I appreciate it. Thank you very, very much, man. We'll talk to you later. Nice to meet you, Chris. Thanks for everything, buddy. All right. Thanks. Pablo, that was cool. Jeanette, I hope you had a good time with Pablo. He said he had a good time with you guys. So, Chris, we got a few more minutes. Yeah. And there's a phenomenal amount of comments. And uh, I'll just throw up a couple of things here real quick. To answer one of them, no, I've never broken a gaff on a large <laughs> fish. But I did gaff a fish once that I, I got its head even with the rail. And I thought, oh, I'm not. I'm not strong enough to lift, to lift this up, and I got to have uh, additional help and uh, yelling and screaming for someone else to, to help me gaff that fish and get that fish over the rail. Oh my gosh, there's so many. We we could sit here and tell those kind of stories forever. That there's just <laughs> you always think, oh yeah, I can I can get this one. Yeah, no problem. Get out of the way, guys. And then you do that ump where you bent leaning uh, over the rail, and you're uh, using your oh no, you're using your back like a um. Uh, fulcrum, and that's probably not a good idea. It's probably not the best thing to do, especially when you're a deckhand, because you got to go right. There's no downtime. You don't get, oh, you don't feel good, Chris. Oh, why don't you go lay down for a little while? <laughs> no, that, no, no one ever said that. Take, take the day off. Go home and just come back tomorrow when you feel better. Um, <laughs> yeah, go home. Wait a minute, boss. <laughs> We're 150 miles off the beach. What do you mean, go home? <laughs> yeah, that's that's not happening. That's not happening. So. Does that news that you're on right now in Arizona, does that stream, can people stream you and watch you? Yeah, it is uh, streaming on uh, 12news.com and the 12 News app. It's uh, KPNX in Phoenix, 12 News. Uh, I'm on kind of irregularly right now because I also have that flying job that I, I'm doing uh, I have seven days on, seven days off. And during my off time, I'm working back at the TV station. So uh, not really on a regular basis in, until um, October. So starting in October, every other week, uh, I'll be on the four, five, six, and ten o'clock newscast uh, Tuesday through Tuesday through Friday. Okay. And then who do you fly for? We never even talked about your flying. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I do that flying job too. Uh, I I fly for a company that's kind of like a timeshare with airplanes. So. It's a uh, private charters uh, and people who own a share of the airplane and they just call up and say, 
take me to Vail to go skiing this weekend, or I want to go to Martha's Vineyard uh, to visit our, our beach cottage or whatever the case may be. So we have uh, 45 airplanes and 220 pilots in the company. And so we're spread out all across the U.S. We fly into Canada, Mexico. I was in the Bahamas a couple of times last week. I was in Key West, Florida. Um, just, you know, wherever the company wants to, to send me. It's not necessarily here in Phoenix. Uh, I haven't been to Southern California yet. I got to fly into San Francisco a couple of times. And no, wait, I, I take that back. I did fly into LAX and I flew into Van Nuys. Uh, but real quick stays and turn around and right back out. Uh, so they're they're really based on the East Coast, but expanding out to the West. So if you want to buy a share of an airplane and you live in California, uh, just get in touch with me and I'll put you in touch with the right people. We take six passengers at a time. It's a single engine turboprop plane. We fly uh, up as high as 30,000 feet and we go 240 knots as our maximum speed. So we can get you from L.A. to San Francisco in about an hour, hour, hour and a half at the most. Uh, really, it's, uh, you know, if you have the means, it's a nice way to travel. Uh, but it's also a fun job for me to do and just get to see a lot of the country and um, more and more experience uh, flying airplanes. And the weather has a little bit to do with that, too, doesn't it? Just a little bit. Yeah. In fact, a lot of the a lot of pilots that I meet and even a lot of the captains that I fly with say, you know, weather knowledge is not really my strong suit. And then I'll say, oh, by the way, um, I'm also a meteorologist. So they say, OK, good. Fire up that radar and navigate us around these thunderstorms and I'll value your opinion a lot more than mine. So uh, that, that does come into play often. Oh my gosh! I can only imagine they're all probably looking at you like we are right now because we're we're to- we all learned so much from this podcast today, and I want to thank you so much for being a part of this. And I want to I want to thank my sister Donna Kalis. I know she's watching the show, and she's the driving force. You got to get Chris on. You got to get Chris on. And I was like, I'm I'm getting him on. I promise, I'm going to get him on. He's very smart. <laughs> But he's very busy, Donna. But he took a little bit of time in the middle of his day on his day off to be with all of us. So thank yeah, for, you so much for my for my people. And uh, and Dave, before you even reached out to me or I reach out to you, I, I've seen your stuff online, and and I, I really respect the experience uh, that you have and what you bring to the table and the the no nonsense approach that you bring to giving people advice, to giving them good information that they can actually use on a, on a regular basis. So, all right. Thank you so much, man. That touched me big time. I'm thank you, Chris. That means a lot to me. And now I know know how to tie up a boat uh, on on the dock. (laughs) Actually, I I learned, you know, uh, when I was a deckhand, the proper way to to weave the, the, the line around the cleat on the boat, you know, first all the way around, then kind of half hitch and then, then you're done. So that was uh, that was uh, ingrained in me early on. But it's nice to see that you're putting all that stuff into practice, too. Oh, yeah, it's a fun video. I make that video every once in a while and I get millions and millions of views and I get thousands and thousands of comments. And I think maybe one or two of the comments actually say I know what I'm doing. It's pretty weird, but (laughs) I'll just keep making them. If you keep watching them, folks, it's real simple. If you don't want me to make them, don't watch them. (laughs) That's how it works. That's the only reason why I'm making them, folks, is because you're watching them. And uh, so, Chris, one more time, give everybody your website. We've already done a whole hour. I can't believe it's been an hour, but we're over past the hour. 
Yeah, it's the fishingweatherman.com. Um, and I haven't updated a lot of stuff, but a lot of stuff, it kind of automatically updates on the website. So it's a, just a good place to check out weather forecast information. Uh, I've got uh, swell charts on there, uh, some, some forecast data plots for frequently visited areas, as well as the text forecast from the National Weather Service and, uh, and a whole lot more. So uh, go ahead and knock yourselves out and uh, feel free to check it out and um, not really making any money off of it. I think I make a uh, hundred bucks every two years or three years or so. So it's not a money maker for me, but it's just uh, you know something that I put out there for the, the community and just something to, uh, to do for, for fun and for free and just to, to be out there and connected. And like I say, again, Chris will be checking these comments that you guys are putting out there. He'll throw some answers up. He'll also throw some links up to his website. And once again, thank you so much, everybody. We can't do this without all of you. Don't forget to go check out Opsin. You want to win that free spool line, check out OpsinUSA.com or grab that QR code that we had up on the screen for a while. And then once again, thank you so much, Chris. And everybody, I will see you all tomorrow. We'll have another phenomenal show tomorrow. We're going to be talking about those windmills some more, gang. And I didn't want to drag Chris into that controversial bunch of crap. But remember, turn off the news. They're all lying to you unless it's Chris telling you about the weather. But turn off the rest of that garbage, and I'll see you all tomorrow.